the Lord. How many of you have a Bible with you today? Reach down and get it and lift it up. Hold up your Bible. You can't stand it. You can't hold it as high if you're sitting down as you can if you're standing up. But that's all right. You're holding it up. All right. We're a Bible-believing people. Amen. Amen. We don't worship the Bible, but we do believe it. We worship the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Our Father God. Amen. A verse that many of you have heard a lot about recently is what I'm going to read. I, I discovered this when I speak about discovering something in the Word. I don't mean it. I, it got there and I found it. I mean, it's been there a long time and I never saw it. But years ago, I saw this verse at a time when I needed the message of this verse. And that's the way God does with His Word so many times. He gives you the very thing that you need at the very moment that you need it. I've had that happen recently as well. This was years ago. But I, when I discovered Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, and this is the preface just before that verse occurs. This is what is said in verse 2. Thus says the Lord who made the earth and identifies him. The Lord who made the earth is the one who's saying this. The Lord who formed it and established it is the one who's saying this. The Lord is his name. That makes it very clear and understood. And this is what he said. In the King James, it says this. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And then in the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says, Call to me and I will answer you. All of them are just the same at that point. Then it says, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Then the international, that national, the new international version, I got it right, says it this way. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Among these three translations, except for the Old English, I like what the King James says. Reading it in modern English, the King James says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I want to talk about those things this morning. Great and mighty things that you do not know which will be revealed by God to you and to us if we seek Him. The condition to everything that God promises in this verse is, call unto me. That's the condition. Call on God. And He promises to answer us and to show us great and mighty things which we don't know. I couldn't find a an explanatory title for this message. So I picked something out that I hope makes sense to you. It seems contradictory. But I call this message Expecting the Unexpected. The great and mighty.
mighty things that God will show us his people. To see those things, to experience those things, we really have to expect the unexpected. It's not anything that we are really prepared for. When God starts to show himself in his own demonstrative way and in his own unique way, a way that only he can show, I mean by unique. So, Father, today we ask that the Holy Spirit will guide our thoughts into depths of understanding. What I say this morning may be something that needs a prerequisite that isn't here today for many people. But I ask that you'll guide people's understanding to the level of this message that they can receive. May the Holy Spirit make your word real, your truth powerful, and move in our hearts and our lives as we receive your word from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Twice in the prophecy of Isaiah, the term new things is mentioned. In fact, there are in succeeding joined chapters. First in in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9, then in verse chapter 43, verse 9, 19, he says that he will show us a new thing, that new things will come to pass, new things will be experienced as God does his work among us. And we've talked about that many times. I, I cannot tell you the numbers of times I've heard people say, well, God said he would do a new thing. And I'm not sure people know what they're talking about when they say that. Because I want to make clear to you that some, thing, that some things will never be replaced by anything new. They stay new. Because they're true. There's no new doctrine about Jesus that's going to come about. The revelation of Jesus is complete. His sacrifice on the cross, His substitutionary death for us, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension to heaven, His soon return. The revelation of Jesus is complete. We just simply to know more about it and know him better. So there's not going to be anything new about the Holy Spirit. There may be new things that he does, but he's not going to create a new doctrine. So when I refer to you to things that he's going to do, great and mighty things that may be new things, I'm not talking about something that we just learned and we're going to establish a new doctrine. God's not going to set that up. Now, God's not going to reveal something that we need to know to worship Him, that we need to know to be saved, that we need to know to be heaven, that has not already been revealed. Nothing like that's going to come along. So, so we're not going to start a church that says you have to be slain in the Spirit to be saved. You have to be slain in the Spirit three times to go to heaven. We're not going to start a church with that kind of a doctrine. We're not going to start anything that says that, that in order to pray, you have to come in with a red flag and wave it over to the altar. I know this sounds ridiculous to some of you, but there are things just that ridiculous out there being taught. But I'm trying to clarify to you, when I talk about a new thing, I talk about something that God's going to do that's in his own mind and thoughts and plans, that's going to be a revelation of himself, that's not a new doctrine, but a new understanding of him we haven't had and see God do things we haven't seen. Or maybe things we have seen but done in a greater and greater way. So, I think it's important for us to understand that when God talks about doing a new thing, I don't know what his new thing is. 
things that God's promised to do. I don't know what those things are, but I know what they're not. And I just told you some of the things that they're not. He is not going to call on us to all make us a white robe and go out here and get it at the highest point that we can get. It would be hard to do that in Florida. That's why I think God's not going to do it because I know it's... Anyway, it would be hard to do that in a lot of places. He's not going to call us to do that and go out and get on the mountaintop because he's going to tell us when he's going to come again. We've already been through that. We've already seen that in the newspaper. We've already seen people talk about it on the radio. We've already had, we've had enough people tell us I know when Jesus is coming. And none of those things that he said have ever come true because they're wrong and because they're anti-scriptural. Anybody ever come to you and say, listen, I've just got a new understanding. I've done all these calculations in the Word of God, and I've got it figured out when Jesus is coming back. Turn around and go the other way. There's no need to waste your time listening to or reading about foolishness. So, so what is he going to do this new? And I am telling you, candidly, I don't think I'm expected to know. So therefore, I don't know. But what I do know is he's going to do some great things. I know he's going to do some marvelous things. I know that the presence of God is increasing. I know that the power of God is the same, but we're seeing it in greater abundance. He's already answering prayer, doing miracles in lives, changing people and their lives. And God's going to keep doing it, but doing it in a greater, a greater, a greater way. I know this. When we see the great move of God, he's promised to give us. It will be an increase of his glory. Now, not too long from now, I'll preach a message that I've taught. I decided this is, I rarely get the title before I have the message, but I got part of this message. Now, candidly, I was planning to preach this message today. I got so busy, I couldn't get all the study I needed done to get it ready. So it'll be later. But this is the title of that message. Glory, glory. Glory! That's the title. It's a message that's going to help us learn how to get under the spout where the glory comes out. I do know what God's going to do in this sense. It's going to be an increase of His glory. Our expectations will be fulfilled in seeing revelations of the power of God, the revelation of His glorious presence, the manifestation of Himself in the things that God does. I've had things come to uh, come to pass that that were new that were not necessarily new, but were new to me. I read in the Old Testament how people were slain in the, in the spirit under the glory of God. I read it numbers of times. The opening of the temple there were several times that that happened, but I'd never seen it happen, in spite of having been around Pentecost and the move of the Holy Spirit for many years. I've told you, as some of you heard me tell this. When I repeat things like this, bear with me because I know there's some people who never heard me tell it. So I'm not going to tell it in detail. I'm just going to tell it to illustrate this point of my message this morning. God does things, but not new doctrine, not new revelation of truth, but are new revelations of himself and his presence. Amplification of the power of God in our midst. That's God's new thing. So, so when I was at the pastor of Calvary Temple, several years ago, over on the north side of Jacksonville. And God began to move in answer to prayer. We fasted and prayed, and that was the first time in my life that I fasted for 
a complete total fast for, for 30 days. And, and as a result of that, God moved. God moved. And, and one Sunday, I, I believe the Lord spoke to me on Sunday morning as I was praying before service. And I believe God spoke to me clearly. And he said, today you will see my power. And I got excited. I, I couldn't wait to get to church that morning. I got in there. And we were praying, but we hadn't seen the great move of God. I got in there, I thought, boy, this is the morning it breaks up when God's already told. Kind of like that morning when the Lord said to me, your long, dark night is over. Here. That's the same, the same way, the same thing. You're, you will Today you will see my power. So I get up and I go to church and I'm so excited about it. The service goes on just like always. I get up and preach just like always. Came to the end of it and it was just like always. Not a single thing happened. Nobody even came up and gave an extra $10. Nothing happened. I went home. I drove home. I was, I was as disconsolate as, as you could be. I knew God spoke to me. But then you start thinking, well, did you really speak to me? Maybe I missed it. Why? How could I miss it that clear? How could it be that far off, Lord? I got home that afternoon. I couldn't pray for a while, but somewhere over the middle of the afternoon, I started praying. And I was complaining praying. Have you ever done that? I know you're a lot more spiritual than I am. You've never done that. But I was complaining praying and got down that afternoon. Now, we got a Sunday night service back in those days. So I, I got has praise, and I said, so I started off with, Lord, I thought I was going to see something happen in this service this morning, and I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if you said it wrong or I didn't understand it, but something happened. I didn't, it didn't happen. That was not what I was expecting. And I prayed on like that for a while, and God just left me alone. And then in a few minutes' time, shortly, I don't know how long it was, but as I kept praying like that, a, a moment came when God just took hold of me. And honestly... I've described this so many times that it felt like God took me by the, like you take a little dog by the back of the neck and hold him, you know, try to make him do what you want him to do. It's like he took me by the neck and shook me. And he said, I said, today you'll see my power. He didn't say it this way. He didn't say, I said, I didn't say this morning. I had enough sense to understand that. He didn't have to say it. He just said, I said, today you'll see my power. That's all it was. I said, today you'll see my power. Now, common sense made me put the rest of it together. Today's not over. He didn't say this morning. No, that's all. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. I've got another chance at it to be right. <laughs> so I went to church that night, and I'm thinking, boy, the power's going to break out. We sang just like we always sang. Not a thing different. I got it to preach, and it seemed to me like I was preaching like I'd always preach. I couldn't tell I was any better than I'd ever been. Seemed to me like just the same old way of preaching. No more anointing, no more power than ever before. And while I'm preaching, I'm thinking, God, what in the world is this all about? So when this, like toward the, I gave the altar call. And there were probably, in the service that night, there were probably, I'm going to say, approximately as many people as are here in the Sunday night service as there are here this morning. It's a large, larger setting than this, but. Maybe this many be people all of a Sunday night. So I said, well, if there's anybody that wants me to pray for you, why would you want me to? I don't know why you would, but if anybody wants me to pray for you, come on down to the front. I mean, I wasn't practicing any faith, I'll tell you the truth. So I looked up, and everybody in the congregation stood up. Wow, I've never seen that before. 
I said, well, she wanted to come on down. Well, they, they, there was a center aisle and two side aisles. They started coming from every direction. I, and I realized early, I said, well, if everybody wants me to pray for you, maybe you just all better come around this center aisle so we can be a little bit more organized. So they did. They got, they started coming down the center aisle. And, and the first person, I'm talking to you now how God shows us how to expect the unexpected. How God shows us his presence, how God reveals his power. It may be a new thing to us. I'm not saying any of this was new to God, but it was brand new to me. So I'm standing up there and I'm ready to pray. And the first person that comes up, and I start to say, oh, Lord, bless me, whatever I was going to say. But I never got a chance to say anything. And that person said, well, I reached out my hand to touch him and it fell in the floor. And I didn't know what I'd done to her. But she fell in the floor. And, and then... And the next person that came up, then I started, oh, Lord, I didn't get to say a word. By the time I touched her, she fell on the floor. The next one fell on the floor. The next one fell on the floor. And, they said, and everybody that came up there, I, I don't, all I had to do was reach out and touch her. And I wasn't pushing on them. I've never been slain in the spirit myself. But I know this, I've never slain anybody in the spirit either. <laughs> I've never pushed anybody halfway down. <laughs> I got pushed about halfway down one time by an evangelist, but he didn't get me all the way down, and people helped me up. So I, but I don't think that was God. I think that was him anyway. So anyway, so, so, I'm, so I'm, I'm, pray, I'm getting ready. To, I'm trying to pray for these people. I can't pray for them because as I lay my hand on they fall out in the floor. And one after, I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody was exempt from this. Everybody, every single person that came. Every nice cultured lady, every, every man wearing jeans, every man wearing a suit. And no matter what it was, no exceptions. Everybody who walked up there started falling. They, they all fell at the floor till the whole front was filled across across that, that front floor. From the front pew to the altar. And it got to the place as they fell that I, I, I didn't have any catchers. Because I didn't know we needed it. And we didn't. So before we formed the catcher's committee, I needed them before I had them. So anyway, I, when I called my ushers up, some of my men to come up and help me, the ones who hadn't fallen in the floor yet, and, and, and I said, now you've got to kind of guide these people. There's no room for anybody else to fall. It looks like everybody else that comes is going to fall because they all have so far. Logically, it looks like they're going to. And they all finally did. But So I said, you've got to take some time to kind of aim them where they fall and get them in the, get them in the space available. And they did that. They did it all across, all across. Now, I know some of you are thinking, this is crazy. Why do people fall out on the floor? Expect the unexpected. Expect the glory of God. I, I, I was as surprised about that as some of you are surprised hearing me talking about it. I was surprised when it happened. It wasn't anything I, wasn't anything I thought or planned. When God said, today you'll see my power, I didn't know what it was going to be. And I thought we'd see great people, great people get up and be healed or great miraculous. I didn't know what the miraculous things were. I didn't say, God, this is what I want you to do. I just wanted to see his power. I fasted and prayed for it. And this is the way God showed it. That, that, was, that began a great move of God. But this was the, this was the beginning of was fasting and prayer. But this is the first uh, realization, at, at the first manifestation of it. So uh, people kept falling, and, 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 and the men guided them everywhere. 
And then, I, and then those, I think it must have been, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe three or four or five men doing that. And then they were saying they wanted me to pray for them, so I got them in a place that they could follow every single one of them. I never prayed a word for one single person. I never said a God bless them prayer. Every single one of them walked up in front of me, I just laid my hand on them, they fell right in the floor. That wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. That was the power of God. And I am telling you, what I'm, the reason I'm telling you this today is because I did not expect that. I saw many people slain in the Spirit after that. I came to the place that I was accustomed to it. But on that occasion, I, I, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't mentally ready for it, but I knew it was God. That's all I needed to know. I, I couldn't do anything about it if I wanted to. If I could have said to somebody, don't you fall. But if I touched it, they would have fallen. Because it wasn't me, it was God. So now, so now, are you ready for something like that to happen? Are you willing to have something like that happen? Some of you are not so sure. I don't blame you. If you've never seen anything like that before, and I had never seen anything like that. If anybody had asked me at that moment for a scriptural explanation, I couldn't have given them one. But I went to the Bible and I found out over and over that there were places where people were flayed, slain in the Spirit under the glory of God. It was a manifestation of the glory of God. And I will say to you, after that, everybody I ever prayed for fell in the Spirit. In that move of God, didn't happen that way. But God continued to move. And the gifts of the Spirit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the word of prophecy, discernment, all were manifested as the Spirit of God moved in that time. I'm telling you that you don't need to have a revelation of a doctrine. We just need to have an amplification of His glory. That's God's new thing. That may be unexpected, but that's God's new thing that He's going to do in the midst of His people. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now I want to tell you another opposite of that. God will move in great power and with great expression and great manifestation when we ask Him to do it, as we're asking Him to do it in our church. I'm going to pause, and this is a little bit of a warning. Disclaimer, maybe. Not an apology. An announcement. <laughs> you may come into this church sometime. And you may. Right now it seems pretty, you know, we sang our singing's pretty good. God bless those singing. They were a real blessing today, the music. And, and the, the good things go on here. You know, we're not way far out. I mean, we may be according to some people. According to the Quakers, we are, I'm pretty sure. They sit a quiet way for, don't say anything until the Spirit moves. And so, uh, but maybe, but most people, our church is not really far. But you may, you may come in sometime soon in the middle of service and you say, what in the world have I got into? Because that was one thing that happened in that service. I had a, had a man playing the organ. They hadn't been in my church very long. His name was Bill Timms. And I wish I could think of his wife's name right now, but I, anyway. But his wife was there. She was the only person that hadn't got to come to the altar. And Bill's up playing the organ. Don't know what he thought. I didn't know what he thought. They were through. So, so she's sitting there. She told this later on. She is sitting there, and she says, "Just what I said to you. What in the world? We left the crazy church. Why have we come here? 
what she's thinking, what have I, what have we got ourselves into? This is lunatic, lunacy. And she said, I've got to get Bill as soon as he can get off that organ and get out of here. And she said, but son, I know he, ha- I notice he hasn't done anything. He not, he's not bought into this thing either. And if he, and, and, and if he doesn't, he knows he's been around this longer than I have. He knows if this is genuine, he'll tell me. I'll know it from, from him. Now this she told us after it was all over. And as she is saying that, as she is saying that, all of a sudden there's a big, whoa, whoa. stood up and it has those foot pedals on it. You know, Ralph, he stood up on the pedals and raised his hands off the keys and the pedals are going, whoa, 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 what are the... <laughs> and she looks up and sees him and she's like, oh, my Lord, it must be real. Oh, my Lord, it must be real. <laughs> God has a wonderful sense of humor. He really has a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> I, 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 told, I took longer telling that whole thing, but I, I get into that and I get excited about it. I, I, I told you more than I planned. It took a little more time. That's okay. Bear with me. So, so, so we're over on Kingsley Avenue. There's a family in distress and turmoil, where you never can come to an answer. With it. And the young man was the center of all that. And he kept telling me, I want to know that God's doing so. I want to know that God's touching me. I want to know that God's real in my life. I want to know that I want to know better about God. And I tried everywhere I could tell everything, but he couldn't receive it. So I began to pray. And one week I really prayed, when they get to church, this they're there in church already. When they get to church, I want you to touch him in a way he will know, he will know that you've done something. So at the close of the service, we're inviting people to come forward. The people are coming and moving, blessed by the Spirit. And he comes, if you, if those of you who remember way back there, almost nobody here does, but I do, there was, a, there was an incline in the floor. So you're standing at the back to get down to the altar. You came down, not steep, but there was an incline. You could feel it as you walked down. A lot of churches are built that way. And so... Everybody else had come, and he hadn't moved. He's just still sitting there, kind of like he usually did, you know. But he decided to get up, that God spoke to him to come to the altar. He got up, and he walked, walked around the back and got coming down the middle aisle. And when he got about halfway down the middle aisle, now remember, there's, a, there's an incline going down. So you're walking, you're walking down. If you're going to fall, you'd fall right on your face. He's walking right down, and all of a sudden, about halfway through, something hit him. I know what it was. The Spirit of God, the power of God hit him. He didn't fall forward. He fell flat back just with his feet. He got a flat back on his back. He fell. And laid in the floor in the aisle. I don't know how long he lay there. I don't remember for it. But it was for a while. As this altar service went on. Finally, I think people went over and, and he tried to get up and helped him get up. Now, what did he do after that? Nothing. Same thing he always did. He wanted, he wanted some evidence from God that God was touching his life. There it was. Proof to him if he wanted to take the proof. When he didn't take that, things began to really crumble and a lot of things happened that were distressful. But, but the fact is, when we don't when we don't accept what God's doing, after we've prayed for it, ask God to do it, and he does it, and we don't accept it, 
He's not responsible for what goes on after that in the turmoil that may occur. You're praying for and believing God to do wonderful, great, powerful, marvelous, overflowing things. And when God does it, we better be ready to accept it and move on it and receive what God is doing. If you're here today for the first or second or third time, please don't let me scare you off with all this stuff I'm talking about. God's not going to embarrass you. He's not, he's not going to do anything to harm you in any way. Whatever God does, be ready to receive what God does, and it will be a blessing. It will be helpful and encouraging and uplifting. It will make a positive difference in your life and not a negative one. And when you don't understand it, you'll come to us and we'll help you understand it. So I want to, I want to finish. I want to finish this morning by, by talking to you about claiming these great promises that God has given us. Great and mighty things which you do not know. Claiming those things. I knew, I've mentioned this man before. I knew him for a number of years. His name is Kenneth Ware. He was a missionary, an Assemblies of God missionary in France. He actually lived in France. Uh, He just came to the United States occasionally to raise funds for his missionary work. And I was pastoring a church in North Carolina where he came. It's his district. He came there, and, and I, we had him on our budget. I always had him every time I could. Because once I met him and really knew who he was and got the feeling of his heart, I always was impressed by him and loved him dearly. The first time I ever went to Europe, we were on our way to Israel. We went through Europe, and we stopped off in Paris to visit Kenneth Ware. Had great affection for him. I, I could tell you more about him. I don't have time. Sometime I'll, I'll tell you a lot more. But Kenneth Ware is the man that I've told you about when he was first saved. A young man, teenage boy, he was saved. He didn't know any more about what to do than I did when I got saved. So he didn't even, he knew God called him to preach immediately. He knew God called him to preach. So he went to an old seasoned veteran to get advice. And he said, I know God's called me to preach, brother so-and-so. What, what should I do? I don't know what to, what should I do. He said, well, you know, Kenneth, the, the Bible says that you start in Jerusalem first. Now, he didn't know what that meant. It only it meant, only meant him, Jerusalem. He didn't know that the Lord would say, start where you are and spread out. Bro. The man didn't explain that to him. He didn't give him any explanation, explanation whatsoever. He just said, the Bible says start in Jerusalem first. And then he'll show you the rest of it. So Kenneth somehow got a ticket to Israel. This is before there was the nation of Israel. Got a ticket to Israel. And went over there. And the first sermon he ever preached was on the street corner sidewalk of Jerusalem. Because God, he thought God told him to start in Jerusalem first. That's how literally he took care of it. So I heard so many things like this. Kenneth was not a person to stand up in church and tell these great wild stories. That a lot of times you hear from some missionaries, not many. But, but he had marvelous things that God had done. So I, I say that to say, when he told me something, I believe he's going to heaven now. Anything that Kenneth Ware told me, I would believe to happen. God used it when the great, great gypsy revival spread in Europe a number of years ago. Kenneth Ware was instrumental in that, and a big part of that great gypsy revival over there in, in Europe. So he told us, Charles and I remember it well. We're talking about it this morning. He told us of a time in World War II. He and his wife Susie 
were in a cottage they had, kind of out in the field somewhere, not close to any other houses, and not even close to any trees. They were kind of out of there. But they, were, they had to get out to the metropolitan area because they were Nazi-occupied. And so they were out there, and, and, and they were kind of out on their own. So there came a time when their money was low or almost gone, and they had no food. So they, all, they also didn't have any way to get to a place to buy it at that time. So, so they prayed. He and his wife prayed, and, and they decided to make a grocery list of what they needed. So they wrote down their grocery list. And all the things that they needed, they put on that list. Like they were going to the supermarket to buy the food. And it had snowed just in the last day or two, and they were out this isolated place, so all the ground around them was covered with snow. All you could see was just solid, un- untouched, uh, pristine white. And uh, after they prayed over, they kept pr- they prayed over their grocery list. And, prayed, and, and uh, later on in that day that that began, on that very same day, later on that day, there was a knock at their door. And he went to the door, not expecting anybody out in that kind of remote place. He went to the door and opened. There was a young man with a big box in his hand. And he said, I've come to deliver your order. And uh, Ken said, well, well, we didn't order anything. He said, well, this is your order. Maybe you have the wrong address. No, this is yours. This is the right place. This is your order. Well, thank you. They took and put it inside and started to open it up, not knowing what it was. They started looking. It was groceries, all kinds of groceries. And before they went through all of that, he said, wait, son, let me out. We didn't even thank this young man. Let me go find out what's going on. So he said he went to the door, opened the door, looked out, was going to call after him, and he wasn't inside anywhere in that big, wide expanse. He wasn't inside anywhere. And then he said he looked at the snow, and there wasn't a single footprint in the snow. You draw your conclusions from that. When Kenneth Ware told me that, I, I believed it just exactly like it. I've come as close as I can remember in detail exactly how he told it to, to us. But I will tell you that God has a way. He has angels in charge of you. The next thing is, he said this. When we went through the list, our list that we had written, and what the boy brought, what the young man brought in the box, what was in the box was a perfect match to our list. That's God. That's God. That is God. I didn't hear that or read it. I was told that by the man it happened to. Praise God. So the city of Samaria was besieged by the Syrians, the Arameans. And the city had been shut off so long, there was no food or water in the city, the people were starving. They'd eaten all the horses and the donkeys. They were now, uh, cannibalism was going on. A piece of, 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 dirt, of bird droppings was sold for exorbitant amounts of money because people were eating anything they could get. It was the city was dying. And God moved in a great way. This is how he did it. There were four men sitting outside the gate of the city. They were lepers. Lepers were outcasts in those days. They wouldn't let them be a part of any of society at all because they were afraid of contagion, catching leprosy. And so they, the, these four men had been ostracized. They were out in a little homeless camp, four of them, outside the city of Samaria. And, and they don't have any food either, like people inside the city don't have any food. And so they're talking to each other. You'll find this in Second Kings chapter 7. The whole, whole story is told. 
2 Kings chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And so they, and they have a conversation. They said, what can we do? One of them said, well, it wouldn't do us any good to go back in the city. First of all, they wouldn't even let us in because we're lepers. Even if we could get in, they're starving. What do we gain by that? Another one said, well, I guess we can stay here, but if we stay here, we're going to die because we don't have anything to even eat or drink. Another one said, well, we could always go to the camp of the Syrians to see. And before he could say that, I'm sure everybody said, oh, wait a minute, that's crazy. They'll kill us if we go there. But then in the course of the conversation, they decided, well, maybe we should go there and see what they'll do. Maybe they'll just put us in jail and give us some food. Who knows? But if they kill us, we, what have we lost? We're going to die here anyway. So what have we lost? Here we are. Basically, said, we've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. And sometimes your faith brings you to that place, my friend. You don't have anything to lose. But by testing and trusting your faith, you've got everything to gain. So these men decided they would go to the camp of the Syrians and check in and see what's going on and see how they would treat them. So they got up and they started to the camp of the Syrians where everybody knew what, where it was. They were walking through the brush and on the way there, four leprous men, I'm sure their feet diseased and the flesh falling off is what leprosy did, walking in the pain of, of, of going from their homeless place to the Syrian camp. And they walk there not knowing what is going to happen. And when they get there, they're expecting a guard to challenge them, halt. But nobody speaks. They walk up to the edge of the camp. There's no guard there. They look inside. There's no people there. They've all gone and left everything completely set up. They were cooking on the fire. The food was there. The ad didn't bother to unleash their animals. They were still tied up. Many of them were. They left their weapons there. They had somehow either disappeared or run away. Well, what happened was these four men didn't even know it. They just knew what they found when they got there. But God had caused that army, that army of multiplied soldiers, to hear a great noise. It sounded like the noise of a mighty army coming on them. And they began to say to each other, the Samaritans have hired the Hittites and all the kings of Egypt to come against us. We're all numbered and we'll be overcome and they'll kill us all right here. Let's get out of here. They said, let's get out while they're getting good. They took off. They ran. This is what the Bible says. The record is there. Second Kings chapter 7. And, and what had happened was God took that, took that march, those four leprous men, those eight diseased feet, they walking along trying to find their way into but that, and, uh, but what they're doing, God multiplies it into a sound of mighty armies. So much so that the Syrians become totally afraid and run away. God did that. All those four lepers did was get up and march in faith. They took a march of faith. They said, we have nothing to lose. To march into the camp of the Syrians, we have everything to gain. Nothing to lose. Let's go forward. And they did it believing that they had an opportunity, they had a chance, there was a possibility. So they started moving toward the camp of the Syrians. These men were faith marchers. They got up by faith, and they said, we're going to the camp of the Syrians, and whatever happens is all right because we're in God's hands. We're going to move forward and get there, and now we're getting up, and together we're marching forward. These were faith marchers who believed that God was going to do something. They didn't know what. Expect the unexpected. They didn't know what, 
but they knew that they had nothing to lose by going there. They had nothing to lose by seeing what God might do. They had nothing to lose by trusting God. And sometimes you have to come to that place in faith. You may not know what's going to happen next, but you've got to trust God. You've got to still go forward. You've got to believe Him. And He's in charge. He's in control. He's the one who gives the victory. And when you march in faith, you will always receive the victory because that's God's destination for us. So how many faith marchers do we have in the house today? How many faith marchers do we have in the house today? I'm a faith marcher. I'm a faith marcher. If you're a faith marcher, stand up right now. If you're a faith marcher who believes God is going to send the unexpected, He's going to give us that which we've never received before, but in a greater measure of glory, God's going to display His power and demonstrate His magnificence. We're going to see the evidence of God's power and presence in our midst. Are you a faith marcher? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're faith marchers. Oh, hallelujah. I just think well, somehow we ought to be marching around right now. We'll just be marching, marching, marching. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. I got a hold of this sometime yesterday. I was down here at the altar for about three hours yesterday. Good morning, praying. Somehow I got hold of this. I knew I didn't have enough time for the glory, glory, glory. So I said, God, give me something. I got a hold of this. This this was the greatest part of the message. God showed me. He said, son, you're a faith marcher. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm going to march on in faith, folks. I'm going to keep marching. I'm going to come up to the place that it looks like the end of the road and I can't go anymore. I'm going to keep on marching. Not quit, not stop. I'm going to march for the glory of God to do His will, to see the revelation of Himself in our midst, and see what God will do. I want to see everything that God 